Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Amanda, recorded in June 2023. She shares her career journey that started in media as a BBC broadcaster to now selling her own non-alcoholic premium wine and being the thought leader in this space. All right, we're now recording. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. uh, Today I have with me Amanda. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So I'm Amanda Thompson. I'm the CEO and founder of Thompson & Scott Naughty Non-Alcoholic Premium Wine. Amazing. Uh, So tell us how you got into non-alcoholic premium wine. Is this what you were always doing? (laughs) Sure. No, no. Um, The potted history was I was in your position, actually. I, I used to be an interviewer, so a BBC broadcaster. So I was TV and radio, the one always asking the questions. So it's it's always interesting being now on the other side of that conversation. Um, so I guess I was always comfortable with storytelling and, and trying to get to the heart of a story, which I think there's direct synergy with in, in building my brand now. But um, to cut an exceptionally long story short, um, I left my my career in in the media and, and retrained in wine in Paris, and originally launched um, a, a champagne. Actually, I had a champagne and, and fine wine business before I transitioned into making um, premium non alcoholic wine, and I think that's highly pertinent to my success. Mm. I, I applied the same obsession with focus on purity and balance with my non-alcoholic wines as I did with my conventional winemaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you for, for that history, but I will definitely be going into it a bit more detail. So let's start with your first career. And uh, let me ask you, why did you go into it? How did you get into it? What was it about TV, radio, interviewing that um, interested you? So curiosity, um, I think I was, like a lot of journalists, probably one of those children who asked relentless questions and probably drove my mother mad, single mother. Um, and, yeah, just a real obsession with fairness, actually, which is interesting now, um, playing into my work in entrepreneurship and a natural progression into pushing the needle when it comes to diversity. I'm always frustrated that the needle doesn't move on on gender, let alone disability, ethnicity, when it comes to entrepreneurship in this country. Um, But certainly in the wine business, that's uh, definitely the case in the fine wine business. It's a very white middle-class industry, certainly at the higher levels Mm. still. Um, And so I guess those two things, uh, a huge thirst for knowledge and a focus on on fairness and truth, interestingly. Um, Yes, so I guess trying to join the dots for you here, which I haven't done before, I suppose getting my B course certification in business was really 
a focus at the beginning, which was to try and do the right thing when nobody's looking, not just when people are. So I suppose ethics mm. has formed um, a key part of my personality and, and then focus in business. Yeah, I've always also been that that curious person as well. I think when I was younger, I must have been that person asking the question because my dad was like, I think you're meant to be a journalist or go into <laughs> that area. But um, we realized quickly I was not a very good writer. So becoming a reporter <laughs> was not going to be <laughs> my career choice. But then I went into hospitality because for that cultural diversity, you know, I was brought you know, I'd lived in 10 different countries, uh, four different countries by the time I was 10. I had a mixed background as well. So I knew I wanted to be in an environment that was going to be culturally diverse. And I got to meet with people like from all over the world. And, you know, that curiosity just keeps developing because you open yourself up to so many different types of, yeah, people, ethnicities uh, that you get to meet from, from all around the world. So that's what drew me to that. So curiosity plays you know, forms in different ways, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, and then what made you decide to leave media? I mean, I don't know your career, but were you having a pretty good, successful career at that point? I had a cracking career. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I suppose um, the next generation now, it will all be about the portfolio hyphenate career, won't it, where people won't necessarily pick one arena and stick with it, albeit parking a few professions like law, medicine. Um, and I suppose when I say I felt like I was done, that sounds odd. I, I'd sat down with some incredible people and, and, and interviewed them and spent time with them. I think the key part of the transition for me was I was in the arts space and in my day before social media, as I tell the kids, um, everything happened when no one was looking. Um, when we were in Cannes on the red carpet working, we occasionally did stay up all night, have a few glasses of champagne and go on TV the next day. Obviously, horror never happened now. Um, but there was an interesting shift in the art space with... Um, the way the world was going. I think the onset of social media and cameras everywhere and celebrity and just that sort of recognition about messaging. And, you know, if I was sitting down with a with a famous person, I would be sitting down in a very relaxed fashion without a publicist there, without a camera there, if it, if it was if it was radio, see, if it was TV, mm -hmm. then um, without having to sign NDAs. It was quite a different world. And um, things were changing and I felt like I wanted some ownership of something. And I also felt like I'd like to make a big difference in the world. And that that was, I think, in my mind from quite young. And obviously it's hard to sort of explain what that means in a literal sense. It's not like I was young going, I want to change the world. But when I look back, I think as a child, I'd always felt like I had some sort of purpose. I, I was despite quite a complicated upbringing, I, I was always very single-minded and, and I think I developed resilience quite young because of complicated childhood. And I, I sort of had a vision of some sort of going somewhere. And I think once I felt like I perhaps couldn't make as much impact as I would like in, in a career that I had loved, I felt perhaps it was time to go and, and, and rip up the rule book and start again. And my obsession actually was, was, was with champagne, fine wine and champagne, when I wasn't paying very different world when you're paying. Um, and uh, 
that really led me to retrain in wine. And I suppose the transition point was the classic journalist researches the hell out of everything. Who's the world's best sommelier? At that time, it was a rather wonderful French gentleman who lived in the UK called Gérard Basset. And wine people, every wine person, you say his name, and his name is still the hallowed name in wine. He sadly died um, a few years ago. And he was instrumental in bringing on women in wine, because I think I mentioned earlier, um, wine on my side of the pond is not the most equal place. There's not huge amounts of women. It's changing. Not many Black people, not many Asian people, you know, not many of anything else. But Gerard was ahead of the game with really pushing women in wine. And I went to meet him. He kindly took a meeting with me. And uh, we talked and I started to develop this idea at this point that I would develop my own champagne. Now that again is a hugely ambitious thing that they say with most founders, naivety is a really wonderful thing. And I think in my case, it absolutely was. But I moved to France, my family, we up sticks. I had young children, a husband. Um, we moved there and I threw myself into wine studies. I remember putting the Cordon Bleu wine diploma on my credit card. Um, we weren't super wealthy. It was quite a, you know, quite a big decision to make to leave a career behind. Um, and so once I was throwing myself into my studies and there wasn't really a plan B, I was all in. And over the course of my studies and time in France with winemakers, I was really just honing the seed of my business idea. So that was the, the journey um, into a new career, which was quite a long one, you know, and continues to be in the sense that I'm now on the other side of fine wine and I guess considered the thought leader in non-alcoholic wine, which is pretty crazy. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, I think, you know, something similar for me happened as well in the sense that I always felt that I had a greater purpose than than just having a job for for lack of a better word. And that kind of led me towards working with women in hospitality, which is what came out of, you know, developing this podcast and now working towards building a pipeline for future talent. It's that idea of having an impact, right? That was really was always there but I never really explored it until more recently and now trying to take that leap of faith and and really drive forward and and go for it and I love that you you went for it you know even though you you moved your entire family and just did it um I guess my question is how did you find the courage to do it <laughs> that's a really good question and I think there's a lot of talk of this in entrepreneurship, but once you almost make yourself accountable and put something out there, I, I've always tried to pride myself on doing what I say I'll do, which I say to young people is, I think, underestimated, actually. Um, and I am constantly disappointed when I see lots of people in business, often at higher levels, not doing that. And I think... If, if I would have one recommendation for young people entering the workplace, I would say, try to be as good as your word. And I think that's really powerful. And so I had inadvertently put myself in that position by saying out loud, that's what I was going to do. So I sure as hell had to do it. Um, and I remember feeling huge pressure on my own shoulders. Um, 
because of needing to bring money to the table. I mean, we had an equal relationship, my husband and I, in terms of, uh, you know, we both had careers and we were both working parents. So it was a, a huge gamble. I mean, I, I wasn't gambling to the point that I know some people do where I could have made myself homeless or so I, I you know, it was a calculated gamble. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't about to put myself in a vulnerable position. And, and that's what I always say to people who are considering doing it, but without a safety net. I obviously had a safety net. Um, but even so, yeah, I think going back to your question, I think it was literally, right, I've said I'm doing that. Now I've got to do it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Um, and then tell us a little bit about your journey into working towards non-alcoholic uh, wines as well. Well, that was a pretty crazy one because I got the business with a beautiful champagne and a beautiful top quality organic Prosecco to around about a million UK sterling turnover ballpark. Um, and we were doing pretty well. Um, there was no huge commercial opportunity for me in traditional wine not to do anything really groundbreaking and even once one parks that commercial recognition I was really being gnawed away by the fact that my favorite wines weren't healthy now I still drink I still enjoy a beautiful glass of champagne beautiful glass of wine when I'm lucky enough to be drinking something delicious and and quite pure but not cheap because of course the way to get cheap wine in this country is to chuck a load of sugar in, chuck chemicals in, different conversation, but facts, sadly, like processed food. Um, and so I couldn't really ratify the health piece. I'd grown up with a mother who was really focused on putting good food on the table and we really struggled for money, but that was her focus. And I was really, um, as a child, taught that sugar was the devil, you know, sugar as a literal addition, the way we're trying to recognize now that perhaps we've messed up by putting it into pretty much everything. Um, and so I sort of became interested originally, my focus initially on zero day style champagne was this idea of perfect beauty and balance when one doesn't need to add sugar and one can get it from the grapes. And it was, I guess, an extension of that. Um, I was also fascinated, I suppose as a journalist, you're very much trend focused and, and, and often, ahead of trends sometimes too far ahead of trends I launched a wine in can way back another story um but I recognized alcohol going the way of tobacco now often there's gasps when I say that and they're like but you had a champagne business and at this point I was saying it when I was selling champagne and they'd be like what, what what that's really counterintuitive I said legislatively in the world this is what's happening. And sure enough, it's now playing out. I'm not saying this is what I'm promoting. I'm saying this is fact. So we're getting cancer warnings um, coming in Ireland on, on alcohol labels. Um, we've had the Canadian legislators come out and say possibly two units uh, a week is healthy. Anything other than that, we should not drink. You know, it's a slow, it's a slow burn, but once the touch paper's lit, there's not going to be any turning back in the world. And I also was recognizing in hospitality, so many of my friends, you know, would be nursing like one glass of champagne at events and, 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 and often not even drinking that. And there was this really interesting thing happening where so many thought leaders around the world in business, in sports, in hospitality, in every industry 
they weren't promoting the fact that they weren't drinking. It wasn't like I've stopped drinking. But so many smart people were being a lot more conscious of their alcohol intake. And then I'd go to wine dinners and I'd be like, well, I've got an early presentation. I'm getting up for a yoga class. I, I don't want a fuzzy head in the morning. I'll take one glass and then what am I drinking now? Oh, water. Okay. And then time goes on and you're like, you're on the water and, and nothing. And Coca-Cola, no thanks. Lime and soda. Okay, we're all a bit over lime and soda. You know, I'm not dieting. So it's, you know, that would be like the classic drink when people are panicking about calories. Um, and so there was this sort of shift from my mental sort of realization that there was this seismic gap in the industry, like massive, almost too huge to comprehend, because all that had ever come before pretty much in that kind of non-alcoholic wine space was either super sugary, like sparkling fruit juice drinks for the kids, that whole mocktail idea, again, super sugary cocktails made from all kinds of things for kids' smoothies sort of line. And then in the wine space, it was, again, I guess the equivalent of the wine that I was discouraged people from drinking in this country, which is that kind of sugary, cheap, fill in the chemicals, tons of sulfites, feel bad the next day after two glasses kind of wine. And that was, I guess, the non-alcoholic wine that was out there. It was it was like people were kind of going, oh, I'm not drinking. Oh, God. Oh, does that exist? Okay. Oh, God. Well, I'll drink it because, like, I have to, but I don't like it. And, you know, and super apologetic. And, uh, yeah. So that really all came together with my next obsession. I think, like most entrepreneurs, there's always, like, an obsession. My next obsession with creating a delicious non-alcoholic wine so firstly i focused on the champagne style a blanc de blanc a sparkling chardonnay so that was how really that came about thank you so much for sharing that journey and all the insights as well love that the research bits that you you went into and yeah the trends uh, of where this is going i mean from what i've noticed because I've been doing a lot of these events like roundtables for women in hospitality. And one of the topics that comes up a lot is these networking events or going out networking in the evening and not wanting to drink, but there's no good alternatives. And this is happening globally. You know, I'm talking from Thailand to Australia, to Singapore, to here in Europe. It's just, there's no alternatives. And sometimes women just don't feel comfortable drinking copious amounts and as you know you you have either kids to go home to afterwards or you've got you know early morning starts the following day it just that culture is just is it's difficult for women to get into as well so and you're right there weren't any great alternatives and of course if you think about a whole other community of those who don't drink at all there's nothing serving their needs either my brother he doesn't drink and yeah, some of the non-alcoholic stuff that he gets is rubbish, honestly. This is why I'm here, Noreen. Yes. <laughs> but surely in every corner of the globe, this is why I'm here. And it's so great that it's a woman entrepreneur doing this as well. So thank, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Uh, spreading the word. It's these sorts of stories and conversations that really build this for me. So thank you.
Um, and so obviously you've mentioned, you know, there's not enough diversity and certainly not enough women um, in this space that you're working in at the moment. Um, I guess the my question will be is, what do we need to do to get more women um, into this space? I think we need, it's a complicated question, isn't it? I'm just spitballing the things that I try to focus on. Um, I think we need to amplify each other. And when I'm on boards, you know, that that's, I'm so often on the boards, the higher up the ladder I get, that's when it becomes yeah. often much more male dominated. But amplification, you know, um, uh, if we're all here and, and you say something and then uh, he, then Joe Bloggs claims it, I'll be like, hold on a second, let's go back to what Noreen just said, because mm -hmm. Noreen just nailed that point. I think that's, it seems like a subtle thing, but I think it's a really powerful thing. Uh, male allies, I think that so often we've spoken in vacuums. You know, it's brilliant. I love being in all female rooms, empowerment groups. Let's bring the male allies in because they're the ones who can really shout. And my husband's one of those. And I think we need to really bring them in, uh, drag them in, those who are willing, and and really they then can amplify. It's been fantastic recently with EY. I do, do some work with EY. I'm part of their Winning Women Network. And it's really interesting when you sit around the room at one of the, the women's events with a few of the key male allies and partners in the room. And, and, and just recently, one of them turned to me, he said, Amanda, it's so interesting. It was never until this dinner that I realised that I was in a different environment. You know, it was just that recognition. He was enjoying it, but it was just this powerful realization that he was the one who was different around the room as, an, as a middle-class white man in business. And it was a really lovely observation, but quite a powerful one. Lovely because it gave him this shift in his mindset mm. of what he needs to do to really cheerlead and make everybody more comfortable. Um, starting really young, I think you can't be what you can't see. So I'm doing some work with the public school, Wellington College, who is funding brilliantly an outreach program where we're working with state schools to encourage really sparky young entrepreneurs. When I say entrepreneurs, I mean, I'm not expecting them to start their own businesses immediately after school, but just to encourage them into recognizing leadership and what entrepreneurship looks like and really see that they could have a vision, you know, themselves, irrespective of what their family background is. Um, that's three things. Um, yeah. And just really, I think that visibility piece, I mean, I do as much as I can online. I've now got a powerful network like you. So whether it's LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, whatever it is, TikTok, just really pushing forward and you know cheerleading all of the incredible women in the network and just hiring women when you can for relevant events and positions I mean I know a couple of leaders in the business doing great things here so I work with Saha Hashimi I'm part of her by women built group and that's an incredibly powerful movement which is consumer brands all founded by women one easy way to help you buy women built mm. <laughs> So, of course, a lot of those brands, nobody has any idea that they're founded by women because, you know, Noreen, a lot of our gender don't shout as loudly mm -hmm. as we could. So when other people can shout and advocate, I think that's amazing. And also Michelle de Klerk-Parry with Women's Chapter 
who does a huge amount of that. So she will, for example, run an event with Cliveden. She'll bring some keynote speakers, you know, from the group and beyond. And then she'll bring Naughty, my liquid, to the table to be poured at Cliveden for the event. And then you hopefully are able to talk about leveraging a listing deal. I could go on forever, but hopefully that's enough to start with. No, that's, that is absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and so, you know, you've had two or almost three different careers, I would say. <laughs> um, what has been some of your, yeah, key learnings from, from your career thus far? That it's all about relationships. Mm. And I think we make every different sort of strata of industry appear like it would be impossible to infiltrate. And this is what I say to women thinking about shifting. It's about, it's about relationships and it's about having a growth mindset and being open. And I think, I know it sounds very simple, but I think if you bring good energy to the table, if you have the right work ethic, if you do what you say you'll do, all of those things can, can quite easily and simply elevate you in any industry. I think we always think, you know, that people who got to the top were magical beings and they usually just worked really hard. <laughs> and I think that's the secret source that perhaps people don't want to focus on. Um, that's the secret bloody hard work and being kind yeah. you know I mean if it's a really small world and it's an even smaller hospitality yes. world and you can bet your bottom dollar you know as well as I do you know someone picking up the glasses in the pub that you spoke to yesterday hopefully in five years time might be running the pub and you'll be meeting them to see if they'll list your bottle you know that is the way of the world and, I, and I'm often shocked at how little people higher up the ladder recognize that hmm. you're absolutely right the hospitality industry is is a very small world so be kind to everybody because you never know and actually those conversations going back to the point about you and I being curious I will talk to anyone that's never going to change in my life. I'm always desperate to talk to people. Sometimes they might have had enough talking, but I want to find things out. And I think it's those offhand conversations. I've had conversations shifting bottles around in a warehouse and, you know, and then Joe Bloggs will say, oh, this looks interesting. What's this? I'll launch into my story because sales, obviously, if you're growing a brand, you're always selling. It's not, I think selling's, become a bit of a dirty word in the UK. And I think all I tell to, to, you know, I tell young people, if you're in digital marketing, you're selling. If you, you know, I think we we forget it's always selling, right? So you'll talk to someone in the warehouse and Joe Bloggs will say, oh, that looks interesting. What is it? Oh, alcohol-free, alcohol-free wine. I can't really see the point of that. I, I like beer. Absolutely you do. What 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 is your what is your sister or daughter or, or wife drink? Oh yeah, she loves wine. Oh, interesting. Okay, I mean, does she drink every night? No, she gets headaches now. She's fifty. You know. Ah, well, actually, you know, perhaps there's an opportunity. And then, you know, I've just been amazed by those conversations in warehouses, taxi drivers, and then you'll get a tw tweet or an email, or it might not be immediately, just out of the blue. Oh my god, my wife loved your wine, and she happens to be running this bank event. And, 
And that is the way of the world. And I think the more good energy you put out there, I don't know, I'm not religious. I'm, I'm a huge believer in karma. And I think it, 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 karma's obviously linked to hard work, but it all comes back. It just takes time. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. And, and you know, putting uh, putting good energy into the world, the universe will deliver, right? And I'll move on to my final question and ask you, who inspires you? Now, I was up last night thinking about this one because we talked about how you might ask me this. And I, I've got lots of wonderful people who inspire me and it's really hard to pick. And... It's actually making me cry. I think, I think it's every. I think it's people who get up and do really hard jobs, and do them with grace. Mm. It's making me cry because I saw a man yesterday. He must have been eight, eight, 70, and he had like a boombox on the street, and it was just pumping out kind of jazz really loudly, and he was cleaning the the, the brass in one of the shops. And I smiled and said hi. He smiled and said hi back. And I just thought, that <laughs> is inspiring. So don't get me wrong. I work with some incredible, inspiring people, but passion actually inspires me. And I think sometimes, I don't know why I'm crying. It comes from, it comes from everyday life, actually. I think you just have to look around you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's my answer. It's, yeah. it's really passion and, and anyone who, gets up every morning and and finds purpose despite extreme hardship i love that thank you so much for sharing that and inspiring us all for what you do and what you just shared as well well i'm so grateful it was a really interesting interview you asked different questions <laughs> thank you so much for listening i hope you were as inspired as i was by that story please follow us here and on LinkedIn, where I post videos of the recordings, stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.